Welcome to the June episode of Ask Canadian 6. I'm one of your hosts, Just Breathe Ball, and I'm joined by Mr. Harmon Condola from Edmonton. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It's a balmy June summer day here in Edmonton. Uh, and uh, I think we've got a lot to talk about this week or this month on the podcast. So looking forward to sharing some of my thoughts. Yeah, there are so many things that happened. Um, sometimes there are months where, I mean, I don't know if I want to say slow, but things are maybe like a little bit. But in this past month, I mean, for first of all, it's June uh, of and June is a big month for all of us all the time anyways. Second of all, it's um, we had this past month. Um, a lot of really difficult situations with international students, specifically with a private career college here in Scarborough called Alpha College. So we'll touch base about that. Um, a lot in the terms of Ontario elections. And then most importantly, uh, or what felt like the biggest thing this past month, uh, the community lost, who was murdered. Uh, so let's chat about some of those things. I think a good place to start is it's June. and. June is is honest once again. It's always a somber month. It's always a moment to reflect. I can share uh, that in Ontario, we have, have Anaconda Bar for the Shaheeds of 1984. I know um, every year that we get distance, more and more distance in terms of time. Uh, for me personally, it feels challenging to find more authentic ways to connect. Um, so I know that there's there's a couple of interesting things. I know there's the new movie out on the Battle of Amritsar. I know we're doing an Akhanda so we take that time to remember. What is June? How is June um, coming out or how has it come out for the Sangat in Edmonton? Um, you know, I think um, in, in Edmonton and in Alberta, um, people have been marking it. Uh, and you see a lot of people online on social media, you, I, I've just seen that grow, that understanding and um, recognition and commemoration every single year um, through through social media. But you know, in in our gurukars, um, this weekend is is where uh, a lot of more of the events are happening, and and it's definitely something that is always um, very important for the community. I've always found it really challenging. Who doesn't doesn't name what happened? six and june of 84 we've seen in the past year we've seen a lot of people including at the federal level speak up for their communities speak up for the genocide in their communities we've seen folks speak up about um the genocide for the tamil community we will speak about indigenous genocide on this land um i still find it really challenging that this isn't named it isn't observed by everyone in the community equally. So I think that's one of the things I'm, I still continue to struggle with. And I make a direct connection between the trauma of 84 and how we became to be so politically active on this land and how one or two generation, I would say one generation removed from the genocide we have six who are politicians. I think there's a direct line between how we learn to navigate politically here and how they became politicians. So it's really difficult to see that it isn't talked about as widely um, as I think it should be. 
Is there, I mean, is that just me or do you feel any of that? Yeah, um, it, it was a bit heartening to see some um, of the Liberal MPs nationally start to recognize, uh, you know, June 84. But again, you know, when you delve deeper into their statements and you see in Canada at least a, a walk back from the governing party and the Liberals from using the word genocide. And I think for a lot of people, you know, it, and, and for myself, it's really concerning that um, for for MPs who've built their um, support on the Sikh community, you know, to now couch their language in, in a reference that is acceptable to the Indian state um, is extremely disheartening. And we saw, you know, in, in the last few days, and this, this popped up uh, on social media as well, where um, groups uh, were facing, and in Winnipeg in particular, Missile Winnipeg was having an event um, commemorating the Shaheeds, and they received a letter from the, I believe, the Hindu Society of Winnipeg advising them not to um, use the word genocide, not to name Santaji, Santajanal Singhji Pindranale, um, and, you know, to only... Um, uh, recite Gurbani and Shabd and Kirtan and uh, it, it was, you know, we're starting to see, you know, a real interference um, within uh, what the Sikh community is trying to do from outside actors, from outside state actors. And, and I think that's extremely concerning and something that, you know, definitely should be on the radar for, for, for everyone. You know, in this case, um, the appropriate authorities were, were notified because there was even uh, an express... Uh, indication in the letter sent to Missile Winnipeg that um, this this organization was going to have members present and that if uh, their guidelines were not followed, they would then take recourse to um, disrupt uh, that that event and ensure that, um, you know, what was offensive to them uh, was not being done. And I, I, it just blows my mind that uh, any organization thinks that they can try to um, impose their will on the sitcom uh, and all the bond, especially during what is, you know, such an important, uh, important time. And I think the other thing that I think is really important is that the word language does come, sorry, the word, uh, the language of genocide does come from the Indian government itself, just specifically in the Ramjilal versus state decision in 2018. Um, this was in reference to um, Octo uh, October, November. So it wasn't about June. But in that decision, um, it does say there can be no dispute as to the facts. I'm looking at it right now. There can be no dispute as to the fact that extraordinary circumstances existed in the area of the concerned so on, so on. And then the next, so the sentence says, the large-scale rioting, mob violence, arson, plunder, genocide, and looting has been duly proved and established. So that's my biggest go-to always is this language has been affirmed by the government of India. I mean, we saw Modi use it too, but I think that was a little bit more pandering than anything else. Um, so we don't need to stop using the language that we know validates our experience and this is also really important because ILWSO has um, had many different opportunities to do seva, and we're in our current form. We do workplace accommodations and international student rights, 
and Sikh refugees from Afghanistan, this is where we came from. This is how we started out. And this is, I, I refer to myself as a WSO legacy. So I, my parents were founding members of WSO and I remember this. I grew up in this. I, um, that pain of having this happen, of witnessing it from the diaspora, the diasporic experience was very different. Um, it was, um, because if you were, what I find really interesting is when I talk to relatives in Punjab who were there at the time, because of the media blackout and because of the propaganda, their understanding of it is very different than the diasporic understanding of it. We had different access to media, different access to knowledge. Um, we saw it unfold in a very different way. It was just like a scary blackout few long, I guess, long time in Punjab. Um, so that experience of it has fundamentally informed who I am, what WSO is, uh, the path that so many sick Canadians took, and the way that we are politically engaged in the systems of Canada. All of that, I think there are just a few degrees of separation from the genocide in 1984. So uh, for Whoever, wherever you are, as you're listening to this, um, please take the time to understand what happened, to uh, reflect on it, and to pay forward whatever you need to. So you're reaching out to another community who's experiencing genocide, trying to help heal the trauma of our own community, whatever that seva is, whatever that reflection is, um, to make sure that this doesn't just become another month in the year, but actually it's a really poignant point of reflection. So the violence doesn't end. It's not like 84 ended and we we all, you know, reclaimed our sovereignty and lived happily ever after. We continue to see um, all of this outpouring distrust, um, trauma, violence from Punjab, from the government of India, stuff that's politically linked. Um, I, this past week, we found out that Sidi Musiala was murdered. I mean, where were you? What were you doing when you heard? I was actually about to get on a flight. Uh, I was on the way back from Abbotsford to Calgary, and I saw it first thing on Twitter. Wasn't sure what to make of it. You know, always want to be cautious, but did definitely flag it. And then when I landed and then read the reports of the confirmation, were, were pretty shocking. I mean, you know, Backing up, Shubhdeep Singh um, Sidhu, uh, i.e. Sidhu Musayala, is you know ha, is is one of the best known um, you know Punjabi artists and somebody who after making it big in Canada and and really Canada was a place where he rose to fame and in popularity, um, made a conscious choice to move back to Punjab, move back to the Bend. There's so many interesting aspects of his story, uh, but part of it that ties into what we're talking about today was he came to Canada as an international student. And part of his music actually spoke to the plight of international students and helped them and, you know, and help them relate because it talks about, you know, navigating the difficult conditions that some of them have and, and, you know, how they try to find a, a sense of some type of political or economic stability. Um, and and for us, I think, you know, the 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 element and the connection to to Sikhi and to Punjab 
where if you listen to a song that was released during the Morcha Punjab, um, you know, that that video starts with a clip from Purpur Singh Balbir's famous speech um, talking about sovereignty. And we saw that Musayala would would reference uh, Santaji and Pantic discourse uh, quite a bit in not only his interviews, but also in his music. So there, there was this deep connection. And, and, and yet, you know, uh, in 2021, shortly after that song is, is released, he, he joined the Congress and there's, there was a bit of a backlash um, from that. But then most recently he, he left and he was supporting Simranjit Singh Man. Um, and, and again, you know, showing the maturation or the continuation and shift in his, his political and, and spiritual praxis. Um, but ultimately, I think mo- most people tie the, the death of Musayala, Shubdeep Singh and Deep Sidhu, you know, two young Naujawans with quite a bit of status and popularity amongst young Sikhs um, who've been, you know, killed recently in recent months. And, you know, I, I think the, the other thing that, that really kind of comes into it is how this is being portrayed in, in, in the state. Um, you know, now Musayala's death is being framed around a, a rhetoric of law and order. Um, right before uh, his, his death, uh, the Jathidar of the Akaltak, Harpreet Singh, had come out and, and had uh, advised uh, the Qawm to be ready to to defend itself and, and called for arms and consequently you had indian propaganda really ramp up about the glorification of gun culture or gun glorification um and and, and i think that you're seeing articles now talking about violence and guns in punjab using musiala's images there was even someone trying to relate uh, the issue of mass shootings in the usa you know, to Punjab and drawing parallels, which I, I think were just absolutely absurd because you simply don't have the stats to, 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 to support that. And it's Shubdeep Singh's own interviews where he actually goes into discussing, you know, wh- what it is um, about, you know, what he talked about in his music. And because a lot of people looked at his, his music as, as a glorification of gangs, gangsters, gang rivalries, and yet his interviews demonstrate a much deeper understanding. I mean, I, I've watched one of his interviews where he he's debating with a commentator about, you know, defending yourself or standing up uh, against oppression um, and talks about, you know, the gurus enshrining um, Shastra in, in, in Kirpan in, in the Kakars uh, versus, you know, what, what the reductive narrative was about um guns and and i think you saw someone who had a deeper understanding than many people um um kind of understood of him and 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 i think you're, you're going to continue to see the indian state try to utilize rhetoric about this type of you know sick criminality um and, and that's what they want to do uh, uh, but you see in the aftermath of Sudhu Musayala's death, the absolute outpouring of support from the community, from the Qam across the world. You know, the the the, the Nodwans, so many people have come out with their stories of being inspired by um, Musayala himself. You know, 
young people who, you know, women from neighboring parents who, whose educations he paid for, kids who felt like they could keep their case because Musayala, um, you know, kept his. You know, and there's this touching story that even till now, you know, whenever he was home and he was going to go for a show, it was his mom who would comb his hair, you know. And he talks about the fact that as a Sikh, you know, uh, maintaining your case was so important. And that while it's not a duty, that one of the greatest joys of life was having his mother um, comb his hair for him. You know, that really kind of touches deep into the heart of the calm. And, and, and you know, I, I think when we when we look at some of those stories of people's inspiration, his his attitude and demeanor really speaks to an Anik up Punjab, you know, and watching his father be able to stand up during, you know, the funeral procession and and salute his son and, and, and give him that, you know, honor him. Um, was just just heartbreaking. I think so many people when they watched the funeral and they saw how many people had connected with what he was doing, um, you know, are now under trying to understand the impact that he had. Um, and and he had made a he he had become such a such a huge superstar. I mean, he's done. We saw a commemoration and, and um, recognition from mainstream artists, you know, from the Drakes of the world and um, the Burna Boys of the world, but. The reality is, is that he became big by singing in Punjabi, by being in Punjab, right? By be connect, by being connected to his Sikhi. This wasn't somebody who sold out, and that's an important piece to consider. Which is, he made an active choice to then go back and live in his band. You know, he stayed connected to his own Kiti. I mean, he got carried; his body got carried out to his finding rest place in his favorite tractor. And, and being able to connect with people and with the with you know the, the youth um, is is I, I think a huge part of his legacy, and he really um, you know when when we talk about six relationships with India, talking about the struggle, um, for, for, you know, talking about a, a displaced Punjab, you know, searching for home, searching for sovereignty, searching for liberation. That's embodied in, in, in the music of Sidhu Musayala. And, you know, he, to have lived and died in Punjab, his death is now being weaponized by the state to create false mm. narratives, you know, about Punjab. And I, I think we have to salute Musayala for his pursuit of Azadi. Um, you know, to live and, and die in Punjab, and I'm going to quote from... Um, Tir Kaur, who wrote a brilliant piece for, for Baz, which is, to live and die in Punjab is to pay homage to the gurus and shaheeds. Um, you know, and, and she also then ends it with a quote from uh, Sant Janal Singh Ji Khalsa Pindarwale. And I'm going to use a translation, which is, if you're going to live, live with Anik. If you're going to die, die for Tarm. And that had become, you know, and, and again, not to overly make this point, but Musayala um, was on that path. Yeah, there's <clears throat> so much connection and so much strength in his music. I think what comes back to me again and this connection to, to June of 84, when they want, when the Indian government wants to end us, they don't just physically end us, they attack other elements of us. Uh, taking away language rights in Punjab, the systemic erosion of our water, um, not having 
rights for people who are not from Punjab um, and, and burning down the Sikh reference library. So our, our books, our language, our identity, there is going to be, and there continues to be a lot of speculation behind the motive for Musiala's death. But what I find fascinating is that the Natija aligns with the goals of the erosion of our community. You take away our music, you take away the people that inspire us, and we are going to be headed down this path of identity erasure. <clears throat> and I've always said, if it's true, you take away our identity, you can kill us, you can get rid of us as a calm. And the and and it's true to the fact that like the Indian government has put so many resources into the erasure of identity. Um, then the opposite is true: is if you can infuse our lives with those things, we will stay alive and strong. So if we have access to language, history, books, music, all of those things, we will be a stronger people. And that is, I think, the strongest parts of Musiara we still have to. Um, but it's still that really traumatic relationship with the state and the gaslighting. And I heard that there's an inquiry, like there's going to be an inquiry into his death. I, there's so much distrust. I don't actually think we're going to get any answers. I don't think we have any answers for a lot of the people that have died. Um, one of the really fascinating things, and you, you mentioned this, that it immediately became an opportunity for state narratives. So two uh, articles, sets of articles came out. One, um, there was an immediate, the Indian government published articles, I pulled it up right here. Um, Canada protecting Khalistani gangsters has become a bane for India's security. Um, New Delhi, June 3rd, the killing of Sudha Musa has once again put the spotlight back on Canada. I mean... No, it hasn't. But interesting that this opportunity was like, what does this have to do with Khalistan? What does this have to do with Canada being a fostering place for Khalistan? What does this have to do with threatening the sovereignty of India? Because Canada is a hotspot for Khalistani terrorists. It's always going to come back to that. The other thing is Canadian newspapers didn't hesitate to um, do racist stuff. So they didn't hesitate to... Um, immediately start saying, well, these are, I mean, we've, we've heard time and time again, racist narratives about uh, gangs in Surrey and how bad Punjabis are and how Sikhs are terrorists. Um, was, how is, I guess then the, the question is, how do you tell the story of Siddhi Musara without throwing the entire community under the bus, the same community that he represented in his words? It's, it's a, I'm not sure that you have the answer. It's like a rhetorical question, but but yeah, what was your response to seeing the different media narratives? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, obviously the Indian state has what it does and, and no surprise there. It was fascinating to watch the coverage in, in Canadian mainstream media because this was front page news in the star, you know, Canada's largest daily, Globe and Mail, Global, CTV, CBC all had coverage. And the coverage was so varying, you know, from, you know, those kind of racist tropes, stereotypes, lazy reporting, um, really just doing the basic, um, you know, like, least amount of work uh, to some really nuanced 
um, understanding of who he was, his music and his legacy and speaking to actual Canadian six to understand that. And I think the difference became where you had actual Punjabis, people of color in newsrooms, you could see that there was nuanced coverage, but where you didn't, you know, you lacked that. And it, the Guardian actually had a great piece because it was written by a Sikh. Um, you know, I, I, I recall one um, particular article where they continually reference, you know, as they do people by their last name. And in this article, they continue to reference him by his last name that they thought was Walla. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was just so pathetic because you it was so obvious to, to anybody who knows anything about Sindhu Musayala that Walla is not his last name. You know, do you know besides, what I'm not going to uh, you know what I thought? I'm not going to lie. Uh, when I when he first came on the scene, I thought that the moose was like a Canadian thing. Like, I thought it was like a play on words where because he was a Canadian, he had connections to Canada. I thought he was saying, like, I'm the moose guy. That's what I thought was happening. You know, I, I don't doubt that there probably was some element of where he thought that's marketable. Um, but given that his parents name is Musa in, in Malta, <laughs> uh, but and again, in what world, yeah, what world is his last name Walla? You know, and so even to the extent that on on you know in Canada, hockey is an institution, and Ron McLean during one of his broadcasts in, in previous years had actually quoted from Musa, and most recently they actually did a tribute, you know, a few days ago. On, you know, during the playoffs for hockey in, in a segment where they commemorated uh, Sidhu Musayala, you know, uh, in, uh, as well as, you know, on, uh, talking about Harun Ryan uh, Singh, the, the commentator, uh, famous Sikh commentator who just got his uh, doctorate of laws from Mount Royal University. You know, a, a great moment for, for Sikh Canadians. But, um, you know, you saw such a such an immense amount of coverage about an issue. I think... Arguably, this is probably the most we've talked about a sick related issue in the mainstream media, other than, you know, them just lazily calling us terrorists all the time. So for for me, you know, no, no surprise that there was there there's entities out there that are going to do some lazy reporting, um, you know, and there's it's only going to be a matter of time before Canadian media starts picking up on on those narratives of the Indian state about, well, there was there something more, you know, are, there's these Canadian gangsters um, and, and Khalistanis who are orchestrating violence in India and creating that tangible link um, in the in the eyes of Canadians or policymakers or police or state machinery and intelligence um, is all pre-planned and orchestrated. And so I think it's something that we need to stay vigilant on because we've seen this play out over the past three to four decades in the Canadian state. Um, and this is just a continuation of that. And they're always going to try to do that. You know, you looked at in the past several months, the, the deaths of the, the not young Nojans. I mean, not only Deep Sidhu, but you also had the Kabaddi player um, whose death was then linked to Ontario. And, and I was actually surprised that we didn't see more, um, you know, kind of coverage that would indicate some type of Khalasani link to it. But again, um, so that was Deep Nangalambia, um, the Kabaddi player. And his death was being linked to Canada. So you're seeing that now consistently coming out of Indian propaganda. And I think it will just continue, um, you know, and, and it always has. And I think that's one of those things where that's like we talked about the origins of the WSO. The origins of this podcast and the whole idea of Ask Canadian Six is representation, is ask us, have us in your newsrooms have us writing your articles. And it does make a huge difference when you have that perspective. You have 
better information, better knowledge, more nuanced reporting. Um, all right. So moving on from and in the spirit of asking Canadian six, uh, let's talk about the Ontario elections. So Ontario had our provincial elections. They uh, just wrapped up and they announced the winner um, a couple days ago. We saw a massive um, win for the Conservatives under Doug Ford, and he's got another four years with a bigger majority. We saw a lot of six standing up in the provincial election. I quite literally saw, like, I could go out and see the signs. Sometimes I think uh, that the, uh, we're our own Doshman. Like, there's two, um, in Gretan's writing, there were two Garewas that were, were up against yeah, each other. Right. And I was like, you know, I don't know if you... Got a good old. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, Max. I think it was Maxine Bernier, as a joke, someone put another Maxine Bernier in his writing against him. Um, and it was, like, one of those things where I'm just like, why do we have two Garewas? Like, why don't we... Just like it's like a kamikaze situation. Like we just need to maybe do something more strategic. But anyways, um, I think it's safe to say that like most of the candidates in Brampton were six and we see a lot more participation. Um, saw some sick women who were going in different ridings. That was really it's always really exciting for me to see sick women be a part like overt a part of the overt political process and then we saw Doug Ford um he won so strongly this is the example I keep using I love following Canadian politics I will grab my popcorn and watch the show go down I went to bed at 8 p.m I was like there's there's nothing to see here I'm not watching the votes come in I'm not um I know what's gonna happen I mean he had he was so far ahead in the polls it was gonna be a clear win and then I just, it's not worth losing sleep over. I just caught up on in the next day. But um, what's the, what's the feeling? Did you grab popcorn out there as you watched our, our show go down? So, you know, it, it was Oilers game night playoffs. <laughs> Unfortunately, they were doing terrible. And so I decided to flip over and watch my good friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Oh, yeah. remember just got on Sundu. Um, you know, I, I was flipping through the channels and I was struck. Something hit my eye. Um, was and, it the shine it, from his head? <laughs> that absolutely the shine from his head, you know. And and I just immediately, you know, was blinded. Um, <laughs> and when I when my vision kind of was able to be clear, I, I saw this uh, this the, this individual uh, just Scott and Sandu. Uh, I don't know where the thing went in his name, but uh, you know, we're putting it on the podcast uh, that we're calling him out. So got to see his coverage. I, if not for just gotten, I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't have watched all the coverage, but I was also struck by the amount of Punjabi Sikh um, names across the board. I, I think the liberals had quite a few um, Punjabi Sikh women uh, who were running in different writings. And yeah, favorite strategy of the Akalis in, in India Put up somebody with the same name against your opponent. <laughs> Take that couple hundred votes of people who are just like low information voters. Favorite strategy, but I don't. So yeah, Janet Garwal, and and then um, she was running for the Liberals in Brampton East. There, uh, Hardeep Garwal was the two spellings. The to be fair, two different spellings. Yeah, two different spellings, and but an interesting narrative, which is you know Gratan Singh, brother of uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, did lose his seat in Brampton East to. Um, Hardeep Garawal. So some change uh, in terms of Sikh representation. 
you know, losing a voice, a pretty strong voice um, for, for the community in the Ontario NDP, a party that now is going to be going through some rejuvenation with getting a new leader. I think pretty unprecedented to have two leaders step down. So no actual um, understanding of who's going to be our, the face of the opposition, given that the NDP and the Liberals are going to be going through a leadership race here. But the Liberals really failed to take advantage of an opportunity to reassert themselves. And um, I guess a lot of people who are pretty pretty satisfied with how things are going in Ontario. I mean, really low turnout overall in this election. I think it's historically low, record low, but an election that really didn't captivate a lot of people. And I think um, one of the things really interesting when you have like a saying in Tuga Rivals, um in your writing, when I was uh, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, there would be one sick candidate and the community would rally behind them. And now most of the community is South Asian or Punjabi or Sikh. And when you have a candidate from every party who is Punjabi or Sikh, it means that I I see it as a strength. I um, like it, it could be taken different ways. But I think if every candidate is Sikh, then the people who live in that writing have to do an extra bit of legwork so you don't just go because that, that's the sick and you know and like let's support him you actually have to start to look at what the party is and and i really enjoy that i really enjoy that as a community we're at a place where we don't just have to blindly support someone because they are the sick candidate um where we have six in every level of government in every position and we can actually start to look at who they are and what they're saying the other and, thing you know yeah sorry go ahead yeah, and you had, you know, r roughly the math on on this was they had about 20 Punjabis, I think, that had contested, um, you know, adjust the Brampton and Mississauga areas alone in Ontario, um, out of which you had, you know, about six, um, I think six Punjabis, uh, six uh, got elected. But an interesting narrative as well as was, you know, the loss of Harinder Malli. Um, you know, she was the lawmaker behind the 1984 genocide motion in Ontario Provincial Parliament in 2016. Um, you know, so so again, a, a kind of interesting story. But um, I think, you know, right now the representation looks like six Punjabis who, who were elected. We had, I also want to take some time to congratulate Brahmi Sarkaria, who um, won his seat again. Um, that I think... I've gone on a journey, I've said this before on the podcast, I've gone on a journey um, with my interaction with conservative politicians and where I came in with a lot of judgment and I would think like, this is not something that aligns with my values at all. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about WSO is even within WSO, we have people from every party, people with every view. Uh, and aside, outside of this podcast, we don't really talk politics, that like our personal views on politics. But being uh, on this side of the WSO, lobbying for change, having to knock on doors and write letters and send emails and ask people for support, I have been surprised. I've had to unlearn a lot of things and I've come to see a lot of really powerful things happen at the hands of people that I did not think I initially would support. Um, so I do like... I think congratulations to Brahmeet. Um, I think he did a really great job with everything in the pandemic. I have heard multiple people credit him for 
um, the the new med school uh, that's going to be in Brampton. It's part of Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, the president of that university, I heard him personally credit Brabmeet for making that med school happen. That med school is going to change the way that kids in Brampton grow up. Uh, shout outs to our national vice president of WSO, Sharanji Kaur, who is the new executive director of that medical school. First time a sick woman is executive director of a medical school and in Canada I don't know I'm gonna give her all the accolades she's the first first sick woman I know um in Canada that's that's a, a ED of a med school but but they think like they said that that couldn't happen without Brahmeet um a lot of the good work that's happened in the healthcare system couldn't have happened without Brahmeet so a lot of um I a lot of the criticisms that I was hearing and even in the um as the provincial election went down I think I saw I saw what it, the mismanagement of the pandemic looked like, and I s personally saw um, the words, actions, dollars, policies that went into supporting frontline workers. I, I'm on the education side, um, so I went into I, I help run an ECE program. Um, so we like the way they supported ECEs as frontline workers, created a wage floor, created the childcare deal. A lot of really positive things happened. So that's why I went to bed at 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was a lot. Um, I do think that the the Liberals and the NDP have a lot of leadership that they need to build, and they have a long road back. It's it's politics. It's someone's game today. Tomorrow it'll be someone else. But I think that's going to be interesting to watch what those folks do to build themselves back. And before we check out for the for the month for our our June podcast. Um, I want to bring a spotlight to the awful situation and the incredible international student leadership um, with what happened at Alpha College. If you are in the GTA, um, you might have heard of it. I hope we tried to make national ruckus about this. So I hope you heard about it no matter where you were. If you haven't, we're going to tell you about it now. Alpha College is a private career college in Scarborough, Ontario, and it is linked to a public college, St. Lawrence College. If you, uh, the, the private career colleges in Ontario have skyrocketed in their admissions, and so many of them have popped up. They are not regulated. They are not controlled. And what happened in this situation was they offered more students enrollment than seats that they had. And then all of a sudden they said to those students, well, we're going to keep your hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, we'll, uh, we'll put you in next semester. Um, this is how this happened, um, why it happened. There has yet to be accountability for that. There has yet to be an explanation for that. There has yet to be an action item for the government in terms of you need to stop this from happening again. And we saw, when I talk about student leadership, we saw young Punjabi Sikh men and women sleeping outside the college all night, arranging a town hall in a Gurdwara, calling out politicians, writing letters, speaking to news outlets, and fighting for their lives. Because you come here with, so much debt and you apply to these colleges and if you take a uh, an unscheduled break you're here on a visa if you are not in school when you're supposed to be in school you can basically uh put jeopardize your entire future and your immigration and paying off those debts and bringing your families here i um i think on a, whenever i have a chance to speak to people who make administrative decisions at these levels of uh, public or private colleges, 
constant reminder to them is that these kids are not alone. These are our kids. This is our community. Um, they are our strength. They are our, our biggest strength. I've never seen hustle like with international students. They will literally do any job that they can do while they're here. Uh, I think rural uh, towns have lit up, have come to life. Have, we've changed the demographics. Um, we like every rest stop you go to, every fast food place, every time you need um, something done, or like just every delivery person, every person painting a fence, they are all these kids who are showing up and saying, What work can I do? Nothing is too small. Um, and then they, the other thing, and I think this is such a lost opportunity. These folks are here for immigration. They are going to be tomorrow's voters. If you, who, like whoever the politicians are who are not regulating these places, if you don't look after this population today, the way that we have opened the floodgates because colleges needed to keep their heat and their lights on and they needed funding to keep their heat and their lights on and they weren't getting that from domestic students, so they brought in all these international students, those that those floodgates were open so that Canada could make money. We are now going to have a robust population of young Punjabi Sikhs who are going to be voting for you tomorrow. So tomorrow they're going to ask, what did you do for me? Don't wait until they're voters. This is a golden opportunity. Work with them now. And um, yeah, that's my rant. <laughs> I mean, it's not all of it, but uh, I don't know what um, I don't know what the situation like. What's it like? What in Edmonton? Are you seeing the same kind of manipulation of folks? Is there any any like one piece that you would want to say to someone who is looking out for them? You know, the exploitation of international students is an issue across the country. Um, the issue with private career colleges has not um, been as prevalent in Alberta, in, in our province. I, I think the proliferation of private colleges in Ontario is extremely problematic. I had the opportunity over the weekend, um, last weekend, to speak with one, uh, an international student um, and one of our board members has actually been on the ground um, at Alpha College with um, the, the students who have been protesting and involved in those conversations. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to hear, you know, the stories. It's not just these educational institutions, but, you know, the exploitation that exists um, within community, within other, um, other institutions. You know, we need to do a lot more for international students who are here, who are vulnerable. And I, you know, you, you nailed it when you said that, you know, um, we are here for them and, you know, we need to back them up. So uh, I've been particularly troubled by what is, seems to be coming an increasingly greater trend, which is, you know, the sexual exploitation of, of female international students. And anecdotally, hearing about that occurring by employers, um, people generally from our own community, you know, is, is something that is particularly disturbing to me and something that I think doesn't get discussed enough. Um, and why, you know, I, I'm going to use this platform to, to talk, you know, briefly that and, and mention it is when you have students who are in a vulnerable position as it relates to their status and their immigration status in a country, um, and then you have employers who from our from their the, the same community from our community who are going to then use that mm -hmm. 
a power and privilege over somebody, not only just as employee, but as their immigration status, threaten them because of their lack of knowledge of the immigration process, um, threaten them with complaints to extract um, sexual favors is particularly disgusting and reprehensible and something that, you know, is, is, is so far, um, you know, f from what our expectation uh, is and, and, and should be. And, um, but definitely something that because of um, some, some of the context around it, you know, we don't get a lot of um, students who come forward and, and, and seek help, but we need to do more. I so appreciate you saying that. Um, it's absolutely one of these things that keeps coming up on our radar. And w there are so many systemic pieces that need to be corrected. We can do Band-Aid solutions. We can try and get someone out of a situation. But we need, it's the same, like, five things that we need for everyone. We need housing. We need a livable minimum wage. We need students to be able to be supported in by the colleges. And then also outside of the colleges, the colleges have not uh, created those town gown relations. And there are some that are real. I think like Sheridan is uh, Sheridan College here in Brampton, Ontario, is on a path where they are reconciling and they are healing and they are coming back to the community. And these conversations are starting to happen. I think it's fair to say most colleges have not started to have that conversation. But I do want to end on a point of strength. And I'm um, sharing forward one of Sharanji Gore's stories. Sharanji Gore is our fearless leader, vice president of the entire WSO. And in case we need to hear it again, she's the new executive director of a med school um, in Brampton. And she was uh, she had a chance to speak to some of the Gores who are students of Alpha College. And she was floored and she was praising them. And she was saying these are such strong women. And said in terms of advocacy she didn't have much to offer them and she actually learned a lot from them so there is no room here for victim blaming this is not because our girls are weak this is not because our sons are easily manipulated these are incredibly strong people who are here waiting for the same pathways that if you're first generation or second generation the same thing that opportunities that our parents have they are not alone. They are. They have WSO standing behind them. They have the backup of the community, and we're, we will continue to elevate their voices and what they want wherever we have a chance, and we are honored to learn from them. Um, all right, so that wraps us up for this month. Uh, as always, we this WSO is a ragtag bunch of uh kind-hearted well-intentioned folks with a lot of group chats um and that's basically the, i don't know i don't know how pleased anyone would be with me describing the structure of this organization like that but that is who we are we are a uh let me use let me use the more professional words we're an entirely community funded organization we have three employees now which we're very excited about um and we have a lot of things that Oh, they're not like we have like ongoing lawsuit against the government of Quebec and we have advocating for international students. We don't have like big things where like donate money. We will. Here's this project and you'll see the outcome right away. We can't survive without donations. So those things, those processes require donations. The systems require donations. It's not exactly the most exciting pitch for help support us. 
But if you ever see uh, or hear anything that speaks to you and you're like, yeah, as a sick Canadian or whoever's listening, um, that's something that positively impacted me, please consider donating. We do have uh, the Sand Club where you make a donation every month. Um, follow us on every social media platform. We are at worldsickorg and that's where you'll get really exciting things like we just closed our applications for our fully funded sick youth leadership institute where you get a fully paid trip to learn um all of the political things and how wso works and how lobbying works and all of that a lot of those uh incredible job opportunities internships fully funded trips they're all going to be on our social media handles so follow us at worldsickorg Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I know we're on all of those platforms. Um, if there's anything you ever want us to talk about, feel free to use the hashtag AskCanadian6. We'll check it out and see if they're interesting stories. Otherwise, we will catch you next month. Um, stay safe. I hope it's a boring month and we don't have that much to chat about. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, I